Welcome to We Are IR, a new podcast about international relations, geopolitics and societies around the globe. With me, Robert Ballante. On the show, I talk to young and not-so-young professionals from world-class universities. We discuss their areas of expertise in order to bring fresh perspectives on the most topical issues of the world. Today, I'm delighted to be sitting down with Riccardo Cocciani, a graduate of War Studies at King's College London and former president of the KCL Crisis Team. In the last year, while based at Peking University in Beijing, he has focused on Sino-Afghan relations and particularly on the changes that took place since the end of NATO's 13-year-old long mission in the region. But first, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? Uh, first of all, thank you for having me. Uh, so my name is Riccardo Gocciani, I'm from Italy. I did not spend my entire life in Italy. Actually, when I was 12, I moved to China, where I grew up and studied for seven years. And then I moved to London, like you said, to do my undergrad studies, more studies at King's. And then, uh, like you, I'm one of your fellow uh, classmates in the uh, double master program between PKU and the NSC. And at the moment, like you said, I've been focusing on um, Sino-Afghan relations, particularly from China's perspective and its uh, security interests in Afghanistan. Perfect. So why don't we kick it off by talking a little bit about the broader context of Chinese foreign policy in the last years and how did it change? Sure. Uh, so I would like to start mainly and focus from uh, the end of 2012 and really 2013 because that's the year, that's the moment when Xi Jinping was elected to party leadership. And that's where we start to see a change in Chinese foreign policy, particularly what many have labeled as assertive. Uh, China since uh, Xi Jinping's arrival has indeed become more and more um, assertive. We really see a further push outwards, away from uh, Chinese geographical boundaries, pushing further away into Central Asia, Southeast Asia, even Africa, and ultimately uh, possibly reaching even onto Europe, as, as we can see now with the, uh, the Belt and Road Initiative. Let's narrow it down a little bit and focus more on your specific interests. What are, do you think, the main Chinese interests in Afghanistan and how did NATO's withdrawal reflect on the Chinese actions in the region? So I will classify the Chinese interests in Afghanistan as being two mainly. First, uh, related to the economy. Mainly, China is interested in securing access and the rights of exploitation of key resources in Afghanistan. Um, the uh, now, now famous example is the Mess Ainak copper mine in Afghanistan, of which China won uh, the bidding rights uh, back in 2007-2008, around that time, uh, which gave China's uh, SOE, state-owned enterprises, the right to exploit and explore uh, these resources. However, the security situation has been uh, so poor that extraction has yet to begin in the area. And that's really where the second interest comes in, and that's where NATO's withdrawal connects, which is China's core security interest, both domestic and external, 
focuses around stability. Experts of chain security, they always focus on the importance of internal stability in China for the party to, to govern, of course. Stability at its core in China and its periphery has to be maintained in order for China, China's economy to continue growing. And most importantly, where Chinese economic security interests connect is through the concept of political legitimacy in China. The government has to provide a stable environment under which the country is secure, under which, of course, the party is secure, but a stability which also allows for economic growth, enough economic growth for the party to uh, provide for any kind of social welfare that it is responsible to provide, as well as to provide e regular economic growth. That's at the core, at least according to Elizabeth, Elizabeth Perry, of Chinese legitimacy. So, on this topic, we often hear talks coming from Chinese officials that agree with what you're saying, how stability is crucial for, for China. And in particular, China and Afghanistan do share a border. So, could you tell us a little bit more about the Wakhan Corridor, which is one of the regions where extremist activity has been very much growing in the last years? Sure. And, and before, you know, the, the first thing I would mention about the Wakhan Corridor is that it's, it's a very thin and narrow strip of land. Um, certain figures give it as being 60 kilometers long, other 80, other 100. The figures aren't very precise, but, uh, but what people need to know is that it's a very mountainous area, the only geographic connection between Afghanistan and China. And what I found through my research, uh, I think it's quite interesting, and I think also reflects the change of the significance and the change in importance of Afghanistan to China is that um, certain um, authors, they wouldn't even mention the, uh, the Sino-Afghan borders when they, would, when they would talk about China's geographical characteristics and, its, um, and the number of countries they share borders with. So I thought, you know, it's interesting. Why don't you fo focus on that too? I mean, it's, it's a country just like any other. On to what my research focuses on, to security, what's very interesting is that because it's the only geographical point in which Afghanistan and China touch, that's where they fear that uh, there could be uh, what's called a spillover of what China calls the three evils of extremism, separatism, and, 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 and terrorism. So, in a nutshell, China fears that um, terrorists and insurgents may cross from Afghanistan into China or vice versa. And this is particularly reflected in China's um, uh, view and fear of um, the uh, Uyghur uh, extremists that have been known to uh, cause uh, serious security incidents within China, particularly in the region of Xinjiang. Particularly, if, if you can think about the, uh, the 2009 Urumqi uh, accident, whereby hundreds of people were um, resulted being killed and thousands injured. Other exact figures were never released. That's the main security lens that China puts on when they look into Afghanistan. So I would like to throw in two more elements into this equation, so maybe you can elaborate on that. And they are, first of all, ISIS, because I'm, I guess most of us have heard about the flows of, of fighters from Syria and Iraq. And the recent reports about the Chinese construction of a base, which some speculate 
might become a new base for Chinese forces, but for the moment, as far as we know, it's something that China is building for Afghan forces. Is that correct? Yes and no. So I would I would first start off with, with ISIS. So uh, as you know, ISIS, we know it as the Islamic State of, of Iraq and Syria. But with regards to Afghanistan and particularly Central Asia and South Asia, there's a branch of ISIS that that's called the Islamic State of Khorasan province. And Khorasan is a, it was a, a term that uh, historically defined an, an area of, of Central and South Asia with the, that encompasses uh, parts of India, Pakistan, uh, parts of Central Asia, as well as Western Iran. So uh, ISKP, it's, it's acronym, um, it, it, it's a branch of ISIS Central, if I may call it so, that is specifically focused on, on Afghanistan. And they, it, it, it pretty much developed almost at the same time as ISIS in Iraq and Syria 2014. That's when uh, the majority of Western media started to pick up uh, ISIS. Um, but ISKP really um, was picked up by the media, if I may so, around... Uh, tw in, in 2015, early 2015, that's when really it, it, it started operating uh, in, in Afghanistan. Interestingly, uh, within its first uh, few months and years of its existence in Afghanistan, it was a semi-ally of the Taliban. Uh, further on, as time went on and further complications in, in their relations and conflict of interests, um, the Taliban the Taliban-ISKP relationship broke off and ISKP became uh, another enemy uh, combatant that the Taliban would, uh, would fight. So ironically, ISKP is the same enemy of the Taliban as it is of the, the international Western forces, including the remaining uh, NATO forces um, in, in Afghanistan, as well as, of course, uh, China. There are a number, a very small number of um, Uyghur militants that have traveled to Iraq and Syria to fight under ISIS, and there are speculations that um, the same Uyghur militants that have traveled to the Middle East, or perhaps even new ones, younger recruits, have traveled uh, to Pakistan and then to Afghanistan, or directly into Afghanistan, uh, to fight under ISKP. Although it is difficult to find. Uh, information that truly uh, confirms this, but according to speculations and analysts and looking at trends, this seems to be the case. How does the earlier mentioned base that is being built or reportedly being built by China, how does it fit into this equation of Taliban versus ISIS, central government, NATO? So, as, as I mentioned earlier, uh, I mentioned that China and Xi Jinping, particularly its security policy and its foreign policy has become more assertive and one may add also more aggressive than at least the, the, the world has been used to, as well as more aggressive than China itself has been used to, particularly since uh, 1949, since the founding of the PRC. So Afghanistan and the, uh, the, the, the rumors of, of this base being built it started circulating at the end of uh, 20, 2017 and the start of 2018. Uh, it started with one report um, which mentioned the, um, 
the results of bilateral talks between the Defense Minister of China and Afghanistan meeting in Beijing in December 2017, whereby it was agreed that the Chinese government would provide material and financial assets to the construction of a, of a military base um, in, in Afghanistan's northern province of Badakhshan, which is the province in which the Wakhan Corridor is in. So it, it's, it's something particularly interesting because it, it comes a few months after China's uh, very first foreign-based uh, naval base is, 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 op is opened in, in Djibouti in summer 2017. But I'd like to specify that the, uh, the rumors around this base is that the base is not is to be built according to reports which have been confirmed and then denied by both sides that if true China will build it but they're building it for the Afghan army not for the Chinese army itself however one may speculate and go as far as say that if China were to provide material and financial assets of course it may ask in the future to use it or at least it will be provided with enough information to know the, the exact location and specifics of this base, which could then beg the question, being so close to China, the Chinese border, will Chinese forces use it together with Afghan forces? Of course, it's still too early to tell, but it's something very important that I think analysts should consider. And if this is the case, then this is yet another uh, proof into the argument that China is indeed uh, stepping up its security presence, not only in Central Asia, but in other parts of the world. And if this were to be true, of course, of, its, um, of it utilizing this new base, I would also ask, are there any other bases that China will build in Afghanistan or in Central Asia or in South Asia? Um, most importantly, one can think of the, uh, the Belt and Road Initiative. For example, the, uh, the China-Pakistan Economic Corridor, it's the largest and, let me say, most expensive project of, of the, uh, the Belt and Road Initiative. And it, 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 it connects uh, China's Xinjiang province with Pakistan. It cuts, it, it, it almost, if you look at it on a map, it seems to cut Pakistan in two, reaching uh, the very south of Pakistan into the, uh, the city in of Qadar. So the Badakhshan uh, base that China is uh, apparently building, it may also provide extra security to Chinese uh, investments and infrastructure projects in Pakistan. Then again, if the reports are true, it is only to be used by the Afghan army. But of course, if China were to use it in the future, this could provide even more security, an even larger Chinese security presence in Pakistan for its BRI, as well as for its own borders, as well as for Afghanistan itself. I find it extremely interesting how you're linking Afghanistan and Pakistan, because I was watching a conference in, the, in early 2018 where Alexander Cooley, professor at Columbia University, mentioned how there are new reports of China building a military base in Wadar port. So from a purely commercial port, this might be turning into a military facility as well. And I was wondering, are there, to zoom out a little bit from Afghanistan and giving a look at a broader picture, is there a security aspect of the Belt and Road Initiative beyond Afghanistan, Pakistan, or in general, how does Afghanistan as a crossroads in Asia 
fit into the BRI from a security perspective? Well, I would say that from the perspective of security, the BRI, everything about the BRI has to do with security. It is one of the core aspects. I think it would be quite foolish in a way to not think about the BRI under the, uh, the aspect of security, both for the countries in which these projects, these infrastructure projects are being built and will be built, but also from the perspective of China's own security. As I mentioned earlier, the importance uh, of the connection between economic development, economic growth, and China's internal as well as external security is linked with the concept of uh, political legitimacy in China. This means that the BRI, it is a core interest of the party, and security of the BRI is ultimately security of the party. Where does it link uh, globally? Well, if indeed Chinese forces were to use this this new base in Afghanistan, it would be an additional place from which Chinese power can be projected, either for the purpose of deterrence or through the actual use of forces, which means forces may be deployed in this area, uh, perhaps in conjunction with Afghan forces or regional forces, particularly through the, the Shanghai Cooperation Organization. In fact, what's interesting is that, because you mentioned uh, Pakistan and Afghanistan, what's interesting is that Sino-Afghan relations have often been uh, portrayed and conducted through, uh, through other countries, through third parties, as mentioned, China sees Afghanistan through the lens of Xinjiang. It also sees it through the, um, the lens of Pakistan, as well as uh, regionally through, the, through, through Central Asian countries, and particularly the, uh, the SCO. So you said, where does Afghanistan fit into this? Well, Afghanistan has been called the heart of Asia. If, if you look at a map, Afghanistan is a landlocked country right in almost the geographical center of Asia. And if you also overlap it with the estimates of where the Belt and Road would, would pass, the, so far the BRI does not go through Afghanistan, and it, but it goes around it. It goes through Pakistan and then goes through North Afghanistan. Uh, Afghanistan has, however, um, uh, signified its interest in becoming an additional BRI member, although no project has yet been confirmed because um, uh, the security situation is indeed so poor that very little activities by China can be conducted. All right, so I'm going to ask you a final question, which I realize it's very hard and it's by its nature speculative. How do you think is the situation going to evolve in Afghanistan in the mid-term and how this is going to impact China and its broader Central Asian Afghanistan foreign policy? I think that we're going to be seeing more of the same since the, uh, if I may say, the incomplete withdrawal of NATO forces uh, in 2014. So NATO forces... Uh, have, have withdrawn partially uh, because a new, a new NATO mission has been established shortly afterwards, launching during 2015, whereby uh, several thousand uh, NATO troops would remain in the country to provide security assistance, uh, mainly in the form of training, to Afghan police and armed forces. But that has also caused a, a security vacuum. The country since then has become more and more destabilized. We've seen uh, a regrouping of the Taliban, launching more attacks against the government. Uh, these have been 
complicated, of course, with the addition of a new actor, uh, ISKP, which is against both the government and the Taliban, as well as um, international uh, NATO forces in there, as well as uh, a sworn enemy of China. So what we're going to see, I think, looking at recent events, particularly from January of this year, we've seen a new wave of attacks all over the country and a very quick su uh, succession of co land control from government forces, then to militant forces, then quickly afterwards back to government. So we're going to see, in my opinion, more attacks, more fighting. We're going to see, I think, an increased involvement of Afghan forces. I'm not sure whether um, uh, NATO countries will uh, provide more forces, although under Trump there has been a, uh, an increase of about 7,000 troops. With regards to China, I think that it may not be that far ahead in the future when China will send its own forces in Afghanistan. Actually, in a way, they already have, but that's where really my research with this topic started. I remember reading um, one or two articles reporting PLA troops operating in Afghanistan. And this was back in 2016-2017. Uh, so what we're seeing is, is a continuation of China's very uh, gradually changes, but at the same time, very, very cautious uh, approach uh, to Afghanistan. But we're also seeing a gradual increase of Chinese presence, both in terms of economic investments and economic interests, but most importantly, uh, through defense and security. And so in short, I think China has already um, provided a very limited uh, security presence in Afghanistan. I would not be surprised if this were to be increased in the future. It all remains... Um, up to the future to tell whether or not uh, such deployment and such increased security involvement will become a matter of public discourse or if it will remain simply a uh, secret. Ricardo Cocciani, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. <laughs>